0: well this sports podcast it is monday july 16th 2018 i hope all y'all are doing well i hope you had a nice weekend obviously the last time you heard this podcast was several days ago there was not a podcast on friday the last time was on thursday july 12th so no podcast on friday but as i said we would be back today on monday july 16th and there. There's only a couple things I want to touch on today, but I think that it is worth just taking the time to talk about just those two things as opposed to hitting on a lot of stuff. Uh, Just as a reminder, you can listen to the Ryan Waldus Sports Podcast on, as of right now, eight different podcasts slash streaming services. You can listen to this podcast on Spotify, Stitcher, CastBox, that's a new one, Google Podcasts, and more. Just to see where you can listen to this podcast, you can go to anchor.fm slash Ryan Waldus sports podcast to see the full list of eight services that you can listen to the Ryan Walters Sports Podcast on. Also, be sure to, if it's possible on the app that you listen to, leave a rating, leave a review. Definitely let me know what you think about the podcast and connect with me on social media. I would love to start having segments where you guys send me questions that I can answer on the podcast, or you guys send me topics that you'd like to hear my thoughts about. I would love to get you know a little more interactivity in this in this podcast. So be sure to connect with me on social media. Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, Facebook, whatever is the easiest medium for you. My handle is usually just at Ryan Waldis, so just check on those social media sites and many more if you'd like to get in touch with me. Also, check out my website at ryanwaldus.com. That's an, also another way for you to get in touch with me. There is a contact form on that website, and it goes right to my email, which I check daily multiple times. So if you have any questions whatsoever, you can also use that as a way to contact me as well. It is the Ryan Wallace Sports Podcast here on July 16, 2018. Beautiful day outside today. We're going to have uh, several nice days. I was looking at the weather this week. It allowed me to go out and hit the tennis courts like I did this weekend. It was, it was a nice weekend. Got to catch up with some with some of the homies. Uh, it's always good to uh, catch up with some of them. I, I kind of have more friends back where I go to school than I do here uh, at this point in my life at home. But it's always nice to catch up with the, the few people that... Uh, I do have um, here at home while we are all back from, from college, uh, but we are back. It is the start of a new week, fun weekend for, for sports. Obviously, it's the last weekend of the MLB regular season, the first half of it, I should say, before we head into the All-Star break over these next few days. The World Cup final was yesterday. Uh, if you're listening to this, it, is, it was on Sunday, July 15th. It's between France and Croatia and france won their first World Cup in 20 years. Obviously, the last time they won it was 1998, and they won it again this year 20 years later, 4-2 over Croatia. As I said, I'm not the biggest soccer fan. I'm trying to get into it. Uh, I usually do watch the World Cup, and I will say that this World Cup, I watched a lot more matches than I have in the past, so I'm trying to get into it. It was. I thought it was really entertaining. Um, obviously, as a casual fan, I couldn't really go into the you know, the analytics, I can't really go in depth and analyze, oh, they should have did this or this was not a good decision by that point or they should have tried to do, you know, this set piece here and maybe that would have led to a goal scoring opportunity. I can't really get into that. Hopefully in the future I kind of increase my knowledge a little bit as I said I found my Premier League team, uh, Arsenal, so hopefully uh, they they do good this year. I don't I don't know. I got to start doing my research to see if they will do good this year. But hopefully I can, as I watch more soccer, I kind of become a little more knowledgeable and I can actually maybe hold a conversation for for longer than you know three or four minutes. That's uh, that's the goal. But the World Cup was fun too. I'll say this for a casual viewer that doesn't know a ton about the sport. Uh, the World Cup was extremely entertaining to watch. Just you know the best teams on display for about a month span. And I'm really looking forward to next year. People are saying, oh, the World Cup, there's, you know, now we've got to wait four years. I mean, there's a World Cup next year, the Women's World Cup. And especially if you're a USA fan like I am, uh, it's good because the USA women's team is phenomenal. So I'm looking forward to seeing if they can reclaim their top spot. Obviously, they won the World Cup back in 2015. So I'm interested to see if they can do that again. But, yeah, this year's World Cup was very fun to watch. And I'm looking forward to the next World Cup in 2022. I believe it's in Qatar. Uh, which is was a very weird place to, to hold the World Cup. There have been a ton of articles online um, questioning why FIFA would choose that location out of all the others. Uh, of course, because it is extremely hot uh, during the months of June and July in Qatar, because it is literally a desert, uh, some, I think it, it gets up to over 100 degrees easily. I think sometimes it's in like the 110s from, the, from some of the weather forecasts I saw. They can't hold the World Cup uh, in the summer next, uh, the, you know, in, not next year. I almost said next year. The next time they have it in 2022, yeah, 2022. That is. That seems so far away, but I know it's going to be here so quickly. The time just flies by. I guess when you get older, the time just starts to fly by. Um, I guess that's what parents tried to tell me when I was younger. Like, oh, just try to enjoy this time while you can, because when you get older, the time really just goes by quicker and quicker. And uh, I didn't listen to them, but I guess they were they were right. But yeah, 2022, the next World Cup, they can't have it in June and July because it's too hot. So this World Cup, the next one, it's going to be in, you know, the late fall winter months. I think it's in November. I want to say it's like late November through December or something like that. I might be wrong. I know it's around that time period because it's just too hot during the summer. So they can't do it. So they have to have it at a different time. And I, I'm really interested to see what the ratings for that are, are going to be like, because they're going to go right up against the, the NFL. I know really there's only one country, right, the USA, that cares about football hardcore. But I'm interested to see what the ratings are like in, you know, the United States when it's going. Because I, I, there was a post on Reddit several weeks ago about how it's going it, the World Cup matches, they're going to be in the same window as as football which is going to be really interesting. I'm interested to see what, because I think Fox still has the broadcast rates for it. So I'm interested to see what they do because obviously Fox is one of the carriers for football during the season. And it's, it's going to be right up against it. The World cup and the NFL are going to be competing. So it's, it's going to be really interesting. I'm really looking forward to, to 2022 for that reason. I want to see what Fox chooses to do in terms of when, you know, the matches are scheduled and you know, what networks they put it on. Obviously they have Fox, they have FS1, they have FS2, um, which it, there's a lot of uh, issues surrounding FS2 at this point, but that's that's a different story. But I'm interested to see what the World Cup is going to be like in, in four years. Hopefully the U.S. Is, is back in it. That would be nice. But I will say, as a U.S. fan, it was kind of nice not having them in it, because I could just watch, uh, I could watch the matches. I didn't really have uh, a distinct rooting interest, so I think I could kind of enjoy things uh, a little more as opposed to You know, watching the USA getting upset, you know, when things don't go their way, I could kind of just enjoy everything this year, which was which was nice. The Wimbledon final was also on Sunday. I watched a little bit of that. It went about as everybody expected. People kind of said that, oh, whoever wins the Djokovic and Dahl match in the semifinals, they, you know, they they will probably end up winning the entire thing, especially since Federer is out. So he would not be in the final And that's exactly what happened. Nadal and Djokovic had a classic match, one of the best matches I've seen in a while. It had to be suspended because the uh, Anderson match, the semifinal match between Anderson and Isner went six hours and 36 minutes. So Nadal and Djokovic were only able to get through three sets on Friday before the match was suspended due to the curfew. Um, And it seemed like some of the fans in attendance, they did not really know the rule. But When they built that, uh, you know, the, I guess you could call it like a stadium. When they built those over there, Wimbledon, they agreed with the town that matches would not go on there past 11 o'clock at night. Uh, And so even with the roof closed, they had to, they had to suspend the match. It was just a little bit after 11 p.m. London time. So they had to, you know, they had to come back on Saturday morning. I believe it was it went. It came back on at eight o'clock Eastern, which I think was one o'clock over there, um, over across the pond. And Djokovic ended up winning the match, but it was so incredibly entertaining to watch two of the best players of my generation just go back and forth for five sets. It was that. That's. Some people said that should have been the final, and I agree. That that definitely should have been the final because we get to the final the next day. Djokovic wins in straight sets, so obviously he wins three sets to nothing uh, over Anderson. From the uh, from South Africa, so Djokovic is back. Uh, you know, you want to do the the who's back of the week? It is Djokovic. He is back in the conversation. He came into Wimbledon as the as the 12 seed, and he not only knocks off Nadal, but ends up winning Wimbledon. And that was, you know, that that match was not as entertaining. Uh, it was, you know, not that it would it would have been anyway, but. Djokovic back, he wins Wimbledon, NASCAR at Kentucky. I'm not going to talk about NASCAR uh, at the end of the podcast today. I said, normally I leave it to the end. I'm not really going to talk about today. The race was very boring. Uh, I was not a fan of it. They repaved Kentucky. The left side tire really didn't help. Like uh, I thought it would not make the racing all that much better. Shuex went wire to wire. He won the pole. He won stage one. He won stage two. He won the race. Um, so Truix got another win. It was his fourth of the year. He was already locked into the playoffs anyway, but yeah, the race was extremely boring. Uh, it got to the point where I, normally I'm kind of intent in just like watching the race. It got to the point where I had the race on one monitor and I had my PS4 on on another monitor uh, and that's, I was more concerned with what was going on with the PS4 than I was with what was going on in the race. Cause every time I look back at the race, it's like, ah, Truix is still winning. Truix is still winning up. Oh, nope. 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 He's still winning. Okay. So it was not very entertaining. Not that it was going to be entertaining. Uh, not many people would have said that Kentucky would have been, uh, you know, a really fun race to watch, but it's just, it's upsetting. The repave really messed everything up there, which is a shame. Um, it's just you know it's it's another it's it's the 1.5 mile track issue that NASCAR is desperately trying to solve right now. You know the the cars behind first place they have trouble catching up. It's just because of the package they have right now, the aero package. So hopefully in the future um, they find a way to make these 1.5 mile races more entertaining. Uh, they it has the potential to. We've seen it a couple times this year, but Kentucky was was a snooze fest. So Jeff Gluck of Jeff Gluck.com. He runs these polls after every race was so he'll ask like was this a good race and you can vote yes or no and I think Kentucky was I think he said I, I might have this wrong he said it was one of the, like the worst like fi- I'm going to bring up the quote right now cuz it's actually pretty interesting so I will say this most of the people said no which was which was not surprising was was Kentucky entertaining it was no and as I get this up now and I am scrolling down okay here we go so his tweet was was Kentucky a good race only 23% of you said yes, which puts it at the which puts it as the third worst race of the last three seasons. So last year's Kentucky race was 27% yes. This year it dropped 4%. So hopefully they find a way to make that race more entertaining. Because if they don't, it's going to be an issue until they can start taking tracks off the schedule and putting new tracks in. That can happen in a few years, which I know a lot of the NASCAR fan base, myself included, is is looking forward to. But that was all I want to talk about with NASCAR this week. I'm not, uh, you know little upset about how boring the race was. Uh, so uh, that's all I want to talk about. I want to just, you know, hit on a few of those briefly. But now we're going to get into the the real meat of today's Ryan Waldis Sports Podcast. And we're going to start in Major League Baseball. So there's two sports I really want to talk about uh, in depth today. It's Major League Baseball and then the NFL. Uh, we're going to start with Major League Baseball. As I mentioned, it is the All-Star break uh, it starts today it goes through the next few days obviously the home run derby's today we're going to touch on that technically tonight i guess you could say so the home run derby's tonight the all-star games tomorrow and then the teams have the days off on wednesday and then uh, some teams will reconvene on thursday for workouts and then we get right back into the the regular season after this all-star break for the for the stretch run which will be a lot of fun But uh, it is the All-Star break, and the focus, the the main topic of the All-Star break is not the All-Star game, it's not the Home Run Derby, it's Manny Machado. Manny Machado has still not been traded by the Baltimore Orioles, uh, but apparently, according to Busta only, he used a couple metaphors. He said talks are now at the 10-yard line, and per him, there are three finalists right now. Um, I don't know if there's a surprise team that's going to vault in, but as of right now, the three finalists are the Dodgers, the Brewers, and to my surprise, the Phillies. Uh, as, 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 as I've said a couple times before, I am a Philadelphia fan um, in all four of the major sports. So it was kind of surprising because a couple weeks ago, it was kind of like, oh yeah, the Phillies are going to back off a Machado. They don't want to meet the asking price, this, that, and the other. But now apparently they're, they're not only one of the three favorites, there are many people that say that they are the team right now that's out in front of, of everyone else that is trying to make a trade trade-off for, for this guy. So you look at Manny Machado. Uh, he is having the best season of his career by far, which is great in a contract year because you take a look at some of the other guys in contract years uh, in 2018. Bryce Harper has not helped this case. This was a guy who you said, oh, he could maybe get $400 million plus from a from a team. Uh, I don't think that'll happen anymore. Um, you look at a guy like Josh Donaldson, the injuries have kind of hurt his value a little bit. So you look at Manny Machado, he has he's not only really kept his value because some people said he might get close to $400 million. He's not only really kept his value. I think he's even increased it a little bit. You take a look at his WRC+, which, as I've explained explained before, it's a better understanding of who's really valuable on offense and how runs are created. He has a 156 WRC plus, so that means that he is 56 percent better than the than the league average batter. Uh, he is slashing 315, which is the highest batting average of his career. Now I'm not a big batting average guy, but I just want to put that out there for context. A 387 on base percentage and a 575 slugging percentage. All of that for if you're doing the math at home, it culminates in a 963. OPS, which is by far the highest mark of his career. His previous career high came in 2016 when he had an 8.76 OPS. So you can tell Machado is on a completely different level this year than he has ever been on. He's drawing a walk in 10.9% of his plate appearances, so close to 11%. That is by far career high. His previous career high was 9.8%. He's striking out in 12.3% of his plate appearances. That is a drop off of 4% from 2017, 2017, he struck out 16.7 percent of the time. This year, as I said, only 12.3 percent, and it's it's really remarkable. So you look at 2014, he was striking out 19 percent of the time, and just in a few years he's dropped that by by seven percent down to down to 12.3, which is which is really good. That's nice to see. His ISO is a 260. His BAB is a 311. So it's it's kind of you, you would. He's not getting lucky, uh, I guess you could say. The one bad thing about Machado this year is what he's doing on, on defense. Now, he has said multiple times that he wants to be a shortstop. He's done being a third baseman. He only wants to play at shortstop. And it seems like that's not really the best place for him at this point in time. So coming up, uh, Machado was known as a very good defender to the point where there was a time when he was one of the best defensive third basemen in, in all of baseball. You take a look at 2013, his UZR, which is one of the defensive metrics that measure how good you are at a certain position. His UZR was 20.8, which was insane. And that it dropped off uh, massively, but it's still a 6.9 UZR. That was a nice UZR in 2014. 2015 dropped off again to 5.9 before it went back up in 2016 to 8.1. Last year, he kind of struggled a little bit uh, at third base. He posted the lowest used of his career at 2.3. But this year is his first full-time year at shortstop in his career. 2016, he split time between third base and shortstop. He played 998 innings at third base, 380 at shortstop. This year, he has played all 837 innings that he's played in the field at the shortstop position. And he has been awful, to to say the least. He has a negative 7.8 UZR. His UZR per 150 is negative 15.5. So he has not only been, you know, pretty bad at shortstop position, he's been one of the worst defensive shortstops in the entire league. Um, And now there's, it's kind of thought that, you know, maybe he's not as bad as the metrics indicate, but still it's not what really anybody expected. You have to really hope that if you're going to trade for this guy and you're going to pay him all this money at some point, I should say and or pay this guy all this money at some point, you kind of hope that he can kind of get it together at shortstop since he's been very clear. He's like, that's the position I want to stick at for for the rest of my career. Uh, you kind of have to hope that he kind of turns that around. But Machado, he would be uh, a great fit for any team that wants to trade him, but it seems like three National League teams are the, are the finalists. The Yankees right now are not in that group of three. Now, of course, they could... They have the prospect pool to where they could jump in and get Machado if they really wanted to. Now, I don't know if the Orioles front office, which is led by Duquette and, you know, all of his executives. I don't know if they don't want to trade Machado to the Yankees because he'd be in their division. Um, I don't know if they just don't like the prospect package that's been offered by them. But I imagine that the Yankees, if they really wanted to get Machado, they could. But right now the three finals are all in the National League, and uh, surprisingly they are all from different divisions. So you have the Dodgers who are in the NL West. They are currently battling in that NL West division with teams like the Diamondbacks who are only half a game back. The Rockies have really turned things around. I said, I don't know if the Rockies are going to be able to really get back into this race. And they proved me wrong. Now they were only two games back. They're on a five-game winning streak heading into the break at 51-45. and 45. The Giants are still kind of hanging around, but it's as I said, I, I don't really see them being able to do anything. You have the Brewers. The Brewers are one of the finalists. Once again, you take a look at the standings. They are no longer in first place in that central division. They've been overtaken by the Chicago Cubs. The Brewers on a massive slide. They have lost six consecutive games. The last one, a walk-off loss to the Pittsburgh Pirates yesterday in the pouring rain. By the way, if you have not heard the broadcast call from that... Definitely give it a listen. The Pittsburgh Pirates broadcasters are phenomenal. I love listening to them whenever I get the chance, and their call yesterday in the pouring rain when Pittsburgh walked off Milwaukee was was so was so fun to listen to. But in Milwaukee, as I said, they've lost six straight. They're two and eight in the last ten games. They could really use help offensively, as I said in a podcast last week. Uh, They are battling with the Cubs. They're two and a half back. Now, the good thing for the Brewers is that it's kind of just them and the Cubs. The Cardinals are seven and a half back right now in that division. Pittsburgh, despite being on a six game winning streak, they are now nine back. So it's right now it's just the Brewers have to worry about the Cubs. Um, They have the same amount of wins, but Chicago has 38 losses, whereas Milwaukee has 43 as they head into the break. And then you have the Phillies in the National League East. The Phillies are in first place in the National League East. This is the first time they've been in first this late in a season since 2011. They find themselves at 53 and 42. Atlanta just a half a game back at 52 and 42. Washington they're still hanging around. They're at five and a half games back, five back in the wild card race. Atlanta currently holds that that first wild card spot over uh, Milwaukee, or I should say they are. Yeah, they're behind Milwaukee. I should have said that's my fault, but yeah, Atlanta, they, um, it's, they're right there. The Phillies had a really good opportunity to put some distance between them and the Braves heading into the final weekend of the first half of the regular season, but they go on to lose two games to the Miami Marlins. They get shut out on Saturday, two to nothing, despite having their ace on the mound in Aaron Nola, and I'm going to get into him in a little bit. Um, and they lose big time yesterday. They get a five-run lead. Uh, against the, against the Marlins they are up five to nothing. And then they let eight runs score in an inning and they end up losing 10 to five. So 10 unanswered runs, which was it, not a good look. But as I said on Twitter, uh, you just put this into perspective. It was their 11th game in 10 days on a trip spanning four different cities, including their own. Um, I'm sure the break and Gabe Papler said this too. He said the break's going to be good for, for everybody on this team. And I, I totally agree, but they find themselves in first place. Philly fans are overreacting, They're like, "Oh, we need to DFA Santana. We got to do this. We got to do that." Just relax, all right? This team is in first place. Y'all got to stop complaining as much as you do. You get, you need to accept that this team is incredible. I believe at this point last year, this team had 29 wins. So stop fucking complaining at about your 53 and 42 baseball team that's finally playing meaningful baseball this late into a season for the first time in six, seven years. All right, just fucking stop. But we get back to Manny Machado. Um, it's, as I said, three the three finalists, the Dodgers, the Brewers, and the Phillies. As I said, It seems like the Phillies, they're they're right there. It seems like... So Jason Stark went on 97.5 The Fanatic this morning. Um, that's, the, that's one of the radio stations, sports radio f- stations in Philadelphia. That's um, the ESPN affiliate. Uh, and uh, he's saying that there's kind of like a handshake deal in place already, but the Orioles just want to wait until after the All-Star break to trade him, which I kind of understand uh, for two reasons. One, he's your lone representative, so you don't want him wearing uh, a different jersey. You want him to represent your organization. And number two, I can imagine that the league would not be too happy if Manny Machado getting traded upstage the, the All-Star game that they they kind of look forward to every year. So it's I understand why they don't want to announce anything yet. But he was saying, oh, I don't think the Philadelphia sports writers are just going to be laying on the beach on Wednesday and Thursday. There's there's some people that seem to think that the Phillies are like the team right now. So you take a look at the Phillies right now, uh, the, the way their lineup is constructed. You typically have Cesar Hernandez uh, leading off. You follow that up with Reese Hoskins, Who Some people say, why is this guy hitting in the two hole? It doesn't make any sense. Uh, it's, you know, the, the the analytic minds would say that Reese Hoskins is one of the guys that you would consider hitting second out of the guys in this team. So I'm fine with that. Odubo Herrera has been hitting third. Carlos Santana's been hitting cleanup. Is that the best spot for him? Uh, probably not. Uh, now, I'm a big Carlos Santana guy, but would I hit him fourth? No. Uh, I'd probably, you know, maybe hit him second, third, or fifth. Uh, one of those spots. I don't, it's, you know, he's, He's getting paid to get on base. I don't think people understand that in this city. People say, oh, this guy's only hitting like 210, 220-something. You know, this guy's not going to get over 100 RBIs. He's not going to hit 35 home runs, this, that, and the other. When people don't understand that the Phillies had a lot of money to spend, which is why they gave him the contract that they did, people don't understand that this team had so many issues getting on base over the past five, six seasons. So that's why they bring in Santana and Santana has been able to get on base for that team. It's just the people behind him have not been able to capitalize on it. Um, so I, I don't think I would keep Santana in the four hole. I think I'd move him somewhere else in the lineup. Kapler said it's kind of a comfort thing for him um, in terms of Santana. Like Kapler doesn't want to mess up anything, um, which I understand to an extent. I'm sure that kind of, you know, players might like, want to admit it, but I'm sure that kind of it's in the back of their head, at least for a little bit. You have Nick Williams. Um, he's been he's kind of separated himself from Aaron Altair, um, so he's been doing pretty well. Uh, Michael Franco, who has done better than I think anybody expected, he went on a major hot streak before the before the All Star break. Scott Kingery uh, has been playing shortstop he, offensively. He has not been um, very good in his rookie campaign, but I think people also need to relax about Kingery. They're saying, "Oh, this guy's a bust. Why did we give him this contract?" Just once again, just relax. All right, just the, this is. This is why I think the Phillies have the worst fan base out of like the fan bases in Philadelphia. It's just the fans don't know what they're talking about. So just relax about Kingery. It's his rookie year, All right, just give him time. And then you have Jorge Alfaro, which once the game people, uh, I, now this is I, I will I want to preface this by saying that I haven't seen a ton of people say this, but they're like, oh, you think the Phillies should add a catcher? Alfaro is not really hitting too well. He's one of the best defensive catchers in all of baseball. So once again, just relax. And as I said, uh, I know that's, you know, that's not as popular uh, a viewpoint as saying, you know, Santana should be DFA'd, but I've seen some people, a couple people say Alfaro, um, you know, maybe we should find an upgraded catcher to which I say, once again, uh, I'm starting to sound like Aaron Rodgers, but once again, relax. Relax. So you add Machado to that to that lineup. Uh, I don't know where you'd put him. You might put him at four. I don't know, uh, unless you move Reese down to four after the, the All-Star break and you just try something different. But Machado is definitely uh, a middle-of-the-lineup the bat. You put him in there, and immediately, it immediately makes this team a lot better. It, me- it makes them a contender. Um, it's the one thing. So I was talking about this with one of my friends the other day, like it's, are the Phillies going to trade for a starting pitcher? Are they going to trade for some bullpen help? I said more than anything, the one thing this team needs, if I was going to trade for anything is a bat. That's the one thing I want. I want an impact bat that can just slot into the middle of this lineup and help this offense score runs. That's all. That's what I want. And then in order, I would go a bat a bullpen piece and a starting pitcher starting pitching is the last thing this team needs right now. So I'm not worried about that. I want a bat and Machado is the perfect fit for this team. It's kind of overplayed at this point of, Oh, the Phillies front office, they have the Baltimore connections, Machado, you know, this, that, and the other, like that's, that's fine, but he's a perfect fit for this lineup. He's what this lineup needs. And people kind of wonder, okay, well, if you bring him in, he's going to play at shortstop. Where are you going to put Kingery since the, the, the coaching staff in the front office want to play him? You use him in a super utility role. You use him to give Cesar a day off. You use him to give Machado a day off. You can use him to give, you know, maybe Franco a day off. You can put him somewhere in the outfield. Every team needs a guy like that that can play multiple different positions um, and, you know, maybe hit a little bit. You know, every team needs one of those guys, so that's why that's what you do with a guy like Kingery this year. He's gonna be with us for a long time, so if you use him in that role this year, maybe next year a starting spot opens up. Maybe they end up getting rid of Cesar uh, and you put Kingery back at his natural position, to second base. I, I don't know, but it's fine if Kingery, you know, is just in that super utility role. He gets to play three or four days a week, um, and I think that would still be fine for his for his development. Some people have said send him down to Triple A. I don't know what that's going to accomplish. Um, it, it's it, players have kind of said. Uh, so when Matheny got canned, um, I think it was one of his former players. Uh, it, and it was he was granted. Uh, he was anonymous in the report, but he said, you know, it kind of upset us to where oh how are you just going to yank this young player out of the lineup um, at the first sign of trouble and then send him down or whatever. Um, but then you're just going to let the veterans stay in there and display what they're doing. And I kind of agree with that. I think Kapler is kind of on the other side of that too, where he's not just going to yank a young guy out of the lineup just because he's not doing well. He's going to let him learn. Um, and I'm fine with that. And I think just letting him in that super utility role, he'd still get the development time needed to, to take a step going into 2019. But you look at Machado, uh, it's he's what the Phillies need. So you look at maybe a prospect package that the Phillies could could give up for him. Uh, Sixto Sanchez, who is their top pitching prospect, he's off limits. The Orioles know he's off limits. The Phillies aren't going to trade him in any in any prospect package. They're gonna they're gonna keep him no matter what. So Sixto, I think it seems like he's the only one off the board. And as a Phillies fan, I I'm fine with that. I think the only guy you don't trade is Sixto. If they want anybody else. You trade them if they want J.P. Crawford. You trade J.P. Crawford. If you want Scott Kingery, you can. They can get Scott Kingery. If you want Adam Hazley, if you want Mickey Moniak, if you want anybody else, you trade them for for Machado. As long as you don't trade Sixto, I don't care. But you take a look at the prospect package. As I said last week, uh, if you're the Orioles, I think you kind of want guys that are going to be under team control for a while, and you want you know I think you really want pitching more than more than anything. So you look at a guy like an Adonis Medina, he's by all accounts one of the, the better pitching prospects in the Phillies system. This year he has not done as well as he has in the past. This year he has a 4.92 ERA uh, in 15 games started. He has tossed 71 and a third innings. He's striking out 24.1% of the batters he faces. He's also walking 8.4%. Uh, you take a look at his game locks. He's been very up and down this year. So the, the first... Uh, His first start of the season, he lasted 5.1 innings. He faced 21 batters, and he he didn't let up any runs, right? So that was a, a good start. He only walked one, um, which was good, and he struck out five. Then in his next two starts against the Marlins and Rays affiliates, um, and he was in high A, I should say, uh, he lets up five runs in two and three-thirds innings, and then he lets up six runs in one and two-thirds innings. But then he goes on a stretch of three starts where he only lets up two, zero, and one run. Uh, in five, six, and seven innings, respectively, then he follows that up with a two-inning start against the Cardinals' high-A affiliate, where he lets up eight runs in two innings. He then follows that up with a stretch uh, of one, two, three, four, five starts, where he lets up two or less runs, and he lasts at least five innings in every single one. He went five innings, seven innings, five innings, six innings, and six innings. Then he gets, uh, you know, he only lasts four innings against the Cincinnati high-A affiliate, where he lets up three runs. He, goes, he gets a quality start, which and I'm not a huge fan of that stat, but just for context, he gets a quality start uh, against the Tigers high affiliate on July 2nd. His most recent start on July 9th, he got shelled. Um, he goes two and two-thirds. He lets up seven runs, two homers. So the home run ball has been an issue for him this year, but I think you don't want to look at his ERA. You kind of look at what he's done this year. As I said, he's been up and down. But aside from four starts, he's been pretty solid. So outside of two starts um, in the middle of April, outside of one start in May and then one start in, you know, his most recent start, he's been pretty solid. He's been a, a good addition for this, you know, he'd be he'd be a solid prospect to add in this prospect package. You take a look at, you know, where he ranks in terms of fan graphs. They kind of predict him. Uh, he could potentially have a 60-grade fastball, a 55-grade slider, a 45-grade curveball, and a 55-grade changeup. Um, if, you know, he, he hits his absolute top ceiling. So you're looking at, I think at worst, you're looking at, you know, two solid pitches, whereas you could get the, uh, an above-average fastball uh, and then two solid offerings with the slider and the changeup, and then that curveball develops, so be it. But if not, you still have, you know, three pitches. Command, um, it's kind of listed as a potential 50 grade, and he has a future value of 50. Uh, so I think that he's a nice prospect to start your, your package with, uh, or maybe not start, but just include in there. Uh, it, it's easy to see why uh, he is kind of as highly looked upon as he is uh, another name I've seen thrown around in, in prospect packages is Archimedes Gamboa. He's a shortstop prospect. He is also at high A. Uh, so he's he's hitting just 228 uh, this year with the, ba- the, the batting average, I should say, with 322 OBP, a 309 slugging percentage uh, his weighted out base average is three one. So last year his WRC plus was 105. So he was an above average hitter, um, at mid a, they promoted him to high this year. He only has a WRC plus of 87, but his hit tool was never really the selling point for a guy like Gamboa. Um, his hit tool, um, projected the, you know, the high ceiling was 50. He really had no power to, to speak of, but he had the speed and he could feel pretty well. He had the 60 grade speed, he had, you know, a 55 potential in the field at shortstop and a 60 grade uh, arm. So it's that he was speed um, fielding and a little hitting, which is which is still very valuable uh, in this day and age. You, you know, it's those guys always find their way onto a roster and Gamboa. Um, there's a reason why he's kind of also want, looked at as one of the, the better prospects in the, in the Philly system. Um, He is right now 20 years old. Medina is not that much older than him. I think Medina was 23. You look at another guy like a, or 21, I should say he's 21. Um, You look at a guy like a Jojo Romero. That's another guy, a, a pitching prospect. He is a Southpaw. He right now is 21. He'll be 22 in September. This was their fourth round pick in the 2016 draft. You look at how Romero is doing this year. He's doing a little bit better than Medina. Um, Romero is a Double A. He has a 3.80 ERA and a 3.71 xFIP. He is striking out. His strikeout rate is 22.1%. His walk rate is up by two percent to 9.1% in the past. It's been around six to seven percent. Um, so his WHIP is a little higher than it's been in recent years. But he's still also considered one of the better pitching prospects in the Philly system. A guy like a Franklin Cologne who right now has two pitches. You'd like to see him develop a third. The good thing for him, he's striking out uh, a decent amount of batters. The problem with him is that he's walking a lot of batters this year, which is obviously not what you want to see. He ended the season at double a last year. He started the season at double a this year. He started 17 games for the Redding fight and fills. And in that, uh, over that 89 inning span, he's compiled a 4.35 earned run average, uh, the, as I said, the problem with him is walks, his walk percentage is really high at 11.5%. That's something that he really needs to hone in on if he wants to be a solid Major League starter. His future command grade is potentially a 45. Right now it sits at a 35 per fan graphs. But when you get a guy like a Franklin Cologne, you're kind of banking on the fastball and curveball being two above average offerings. And you're kind of banking on the changeup, at least providing uh, you know a bit of a different look. Because if you're a starter, you're not gonna rely. You're you are not going to rely you you can not rely on two pitches. You need to have a third one. So you're kind of you're kind of hoping if you get a guy like a Cologne, who right now is 23 years old, he just turned 23 last month on June 25th. You're hoping that the changeup develops to the point where he can be, you know, at you know a, a middle of the rotation starter, um, somewhere you know in that area. And there's also, of course, other guys that you can add into a prospect package if you're going to trade for him. If you want to trade, you know, Jylan Ortiz, who is that really – he's got that really high ceiling as a power-hitting outfielder. You do that. Um, Some people have kind of given his power a 70-grade, which is is crazy, right? Um, But power sells, and if you want to throw him in the prospect package, you can – if you want to take advantage of how good Adam Hazley's doing right now and throw him in the package, you go ahead and do that. Now, obviously, you're not going to throw in, you know, six or seven prospects. I'm just saying you can throw in different guys uh, depending on who the the Orioles want. If they want Eniel De Los Santos, now apparently the Phillies don't want to give him up, and I understand why, but if you want to give up him, I think he kind of considered doing that. If you want to give up Mickey Moniak, who was your number one pick back in 2016, I think he considered doing that. Uh, and then you get further down, you can add in maybe a Ranger Suarez as, you know, a mid-level pitching prospect. Maybe a guy like a Jose Tavares or, you know, just other, other guys of that of that nature. And then there's more pitching prospects the further down you go that the, the Orioles might find uh, intriguing. But those are just some of the, the big names. The Phillies can definitely put together a competitive prospect package that's kind of, you know, it's on the level of the other teams around the league. Um, so I I don't know. It's, it's gotten to the point where as a Phillies fan, I'm going to be pretty upset if they don't get Manny. It just, it seems like everything's kind of lining up perfectly to where they will. Uh, there was a report that came out that John Middleton, he wants to make a splash and not only does he want to trade for Machado, he wants to retain Machado and sign Harper this off season. So going into 2019, the Phillies would have both Machado and Harper, which also, by the way, uh, I see a lot of people saying, Oh, uh, we don't need Harper, he's a jerk, he's not what you want in the clubhouse. Once again, just stop, all right, just stop. Just because Cole Hamels threw at him in 2012, he's not a jerk, all right? Just, 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 Like, stop saying you wouldn't want one of the best young players in baseball. If you're going to tell me he's a jerk, that's it, the funny thing, too, because people tell me all the time, oh, Bryce Harper's a jerk. And I say, well, why is he a jerk? And they're like, oh, he just is. That's not, that's not, the, right, that's not the right comeback to my question. I want some proof that he is a jerk. And don't give me the Papelbon incident. Don't give me, oh, Hamels threw at him, so clearly he's a jerk. Don't don't give me any of that. Give me solid proof that he's a jerk. Give me solid proof as to why you don't want one of the best young players in, in baseball. If you want to tell me, okay, well, what he's doing this year, it kind of worries me. But, okay, that's fine. I see where you're coming from. If, you, if you're a little worried about giving a long-term commitment to the guy based on what he's doing this year at the plate and in the field, okay, I understand that. But, you know, give me some, some solid evidence as to why you would not want one of the best young players in baseball. Just please, in the future, just do that. But Middleton wants to make that splash. He wants to try to get both those guys if it's possible. But it all starts this week. Uh, supposedly, the the Orioles are going to trade Machado before the regular season resumes. So we are we're a couple days away from seeing where Machado will end up playing the rest of this regular season. Um, so you look at uh, what Machado has done with the the Orioles um, in his career. Uh, he obviously probably played his last game with the Orioles on Sunday. Um, before he got pulled. Um, you look at what he's done. He hit 162 home runs. He had a final slash line of 283, 335, 487, with a 350 weighted on base average and a 120 WRC+. Plus, Take a look at his career OPS with the Baltimore Orioles, 822. He did a lot for that organization, both at the plate and in the field. Um, It's a shame that they have to trade him. It's a shame that the Baltimore organization has gotten to the point that they're at right now, where they're one of the worst teams in all of baseball. It's a shame that they're going to lose their number one overall pick, or their, their first round pick, number three overall from 2010. shame that eight years later, they're going to see him kind of just uh, go away, uh, but it's what they have to do to replenish the farm system. They're not going to go anywhere, and they know he's not going to resign with them. So um, I hope that the Orioles fans—I'm uh, sure they do—appreciate um, what Machado has done. I'm sure they're going to be upset, but hopefully the the front office makes the right trade and gets the the right prospects in there to where you know maybe you never forget about what Machado did, but the prospects are good enough to where you're like, okay, well, it's you know it was fun while it lasted, Manny, but now we got these guys. So thank you for, for all that. Thank you for all the good times. I also want to talk about the how do you transition from Manny Machado to uh, what's going on in baseball now, <laughs> right? Uh, I want to talk about the home run derby a little bit. Just you know, maybe give just some predictions, right? Um, so we will start. I'm just going to look at this home run derby bracket. Now, obviously, the home run derby it's it's a little unpredictable. You never really know, you know, who's going to be feeling it um, that night. But if we look at the home run derby bracket. I'm not an expert. Um, this is obviously not something I'm going to put money on, but. Uh, you look at the, the brackets. So at the top left, you have Jesus Aguilar, who's the number one seed. He's going up against Reese Hoskins. Uh, I will go with Jesus Aguilar. I'm a big Reese Hoskins guy, but his swing is not what it used to be. He's not hit a home run since uh, June, I think, 29th, and right now it's July 16th. So I'm going to go with Jesus. Uh, it's nice to see a Philly in there once again for the first time in a while, but I don't think he gets past the first round. I think Aguilar does. Alex Bregman Kyle Schwarber at the bottom left of the bracket, the 4-5 matchup. I think I will go with uh, Alex Bregman, the Astros youngster, although I think that'll be a highly contested contest. Bryce Harper and Freddie Freeman, this is an interesting one, but I feel like Harper, you know, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, I think he's really going to go all out, and especially on his home turf, he's going to try to win the title, so I will take Harper over Freeman. And then Muncy and Baez, uh, I've heard that Baez puts on a hell of a show during during batting practice, I'm a big Max Muncy guy, but I'm gonna go for the upset here. I think Javier Baez advances to the to the semifinals. So you look at the semifinal matchups. You have Aguilar, Bregman, Harper, and Baez. Uh, for me, I think I will go with Jesus Aguilar. Um, just once again, nothing against Alex Bregman, but Aguilar has been a very big story this year. Power was always his his selling, um, his selling tool, and he has finally. Uh, showcase that this year in the, in the time he's had with the Brewers. So I think he advances to the final from the left side of the bracket and the right side of the bracket. I'll take Bryce Harper and in the final, I'll go with Bryce Harper. Why not? Uh, As I said, he's playing at nationals park here in the home run Derby. I'll go with the homie um, who is playing in front of his home crowd. So I think Bryce Harper will win the home run Derby, Uh, but uh, obviously I would love to see Reese win it. I just, I don't know if, if I'll say this, if Reese can beat Aguilar, he has a shot because um, I think after that he can compete with anybody, but uh, we'll see. So my prediction, Bryce Harper over Jesus Aguilar in the Home Run Derby final. I know that's kind of chalk, um, but I didn't really pick a lot of upsets. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I guess, I don't know. We'll see. Home Run Derby is, uh, it's you know, it's, it's kind of hit or miss for me, no pun intended, um, depending on what the year is. But I'm looking forward to seeing what happens this year, um, and I'm looking forward to it. So now I want to get, uh, as we start talking about Major League Baseball, um, I want to get into some first-half awards. So there are three awards, well, technically six awards. I'm going to give out uh, MVP, Cy Young, and Rookie of the Year, but I'm going to do it, obviously, for each league as it's done in, in real life. So we will start with Rookie of the Year and then go up to Cy Young and then finish with, uh, with MVP. So we will start in the American League for Rookie of the Year and I think at this point, I can't stress this enough that things can change. Obviously, between now and the next time I do this, which is at the excuse me at the end of the at the end of the season uh, in September, things can change. Um, but I think right now, the American League Rookie of the Year uh, is Gleyber Torres, uh, the the young infielder for the the New York, the New York Yankees. In 63 games, he has hit 294, 350, 555. That's good for a 381, weighted on base average, and a 143 WRC+. Plus, uh, The only other guy I think you would really consider um, for rookie of the year in American League just at this point um, for one and two is Shohei Ohtani. Obviously, Shohei uh, was kind of hurt by the fact that he was injured, and now he can only hit for the rest of the year because of the UCL injury, uh, which was really upsetting. Um, I don't know what the plan is for him going forward. It seems like they're just content to let him DH and then worry about it uh, at the end of the season. So I think that if Shohei was pitching and hitting, uh, you, there's a bigger case for him being number one over Glaber. But right now, um, Otani, uh, I think, is my number two. Uh, he's hitting 283, 365, 522. He has a 145 WRC plus. He has hit seven home runs this year with 22 RBIs. Glaber, meanwhile, 15 home runs. Uh, And 42 RBIs, now Glaber, um, he is now on the DL. Uh, Shohei just came off the DL, so maybe things change. Maybe now Shohei kind of reclaims his spot. I don't know. But it'll be fun to watch down the stretch what Shohei and Glaber do. I still think uh, Glaber ends up probably winning it um, overall. You look at the rest of the American League. Uh, you know, you can look at a guy like a Max Stassi. Um, these guys aren't going to be in contention to to win the award, but just looking at some of the the rookies, you look at a guy like a Max Stassi for the for the Houston Astros. He's he's done pretty well. Um, you know, uh, at, at the plate, uh, Houston. They I think it's fair to say that they kind of would like to get a better catcher, um, but Stassi's kind of been. Okay, uh, in that role, Joey Wendell for the for the Rays has done pretty well. You can't talk about the Yankees either without talking about Miguel Andujar, who has also done well. Another rookie for the for the Yankees, another rookie infielder. So there have been some there have been some some solid performances from the rookies out in the American League. You look at the you look at the pitching side. A guy like a, a Joe Jimenez uh, has done pretty well. Obviously, he's a reliever. So Shane Bieber has done pretty well um, in his limited time. He started seven games. He's done pretty well. Um, but I think it's, it is Gleyber Torres at this point for me. Uh, we'll see if he can maintain that as we get through the stretch run um, through the rest of the, the season, the second half. In the National League Rookie of the Year, uh, I think it's uh, at this point it's kind of a runaway. you got to go with the 19-year-old. In Juan Soto for the Washington Nationals. He's had nine home runs. He has 28 RBIs. He's walked 15.8% of the time while only striking out 19.6%. He is slashing 301, 411, 517 in his first taste of Major League action. Um, he has a weighted on base average of 399 and a crazy WRC plus of 151. He's been good for 1.5 wins above replacement over 51 games. This is a guy that played all of eight games in Double A this year um, before he was, you know, he played 15 games. I, I'll say this. He played 16 games in mid A, 15 games at high A, 8 games at double A. Now he is, he's up in the, in the majors, the 19 year old. So good for Juan Soto. Uh, I know I'm not supposed to say that as a Phillies fan, but he has been um, really fun to watch this year through his, you know, his first major league season. And I think right now he's definitely your rookie of the year. You can look at a guy like a Brian Anderson, but hes he, I don't think he's been as impressive. Uh, he's, right now, for the Marlins, he's been a bright spot, I will say, for the Marlins. He's at 288, 363, a 429 with a 345 weighted on base average. He's been worth 2.1 wins above replacement in 97 games. He has 424 plate appearances. The guy that I think a lot of people thought would kind of run away with NL Rookie of the Year, Ronald Acuna, um, has not done very well. Now, he's dealt with injuries, but uh, he, is, he struggled a little bit. Um, through his his first taste of major league action, um, he's only hit 249, 304, 438. He has a uh, a below average WRC plus. It's at 99, so you know it's you could say it's basically at average, a tick below. But he's he started off really well, but since then has struggled. Uh, I think eventually he does pick it up over the the second half of the of the season. He's just too talented not to. Um, I think he started off well but then the pitchers adapted and then, you know, the injuries, but now he's back. So I think he does pick it up before the end of the season. You take a look pitching wise for, for guys uh, in the national league, Walker Buehler is, is he's obviously up there in terms of pitchers um, on the Dodgers, the young Dodgers arm. He started 10 games. He's appeared in 11. He pitched to a 3.45 ERA uh, and a 3.00 FIP. He has stranded 71.9% of the runners. He's allowed to reach base. He struck out close to nine guys or a little bit over nine guys per nine innings, walking just over two. Jack Flaherty of the Cardinals, another name up there. Freddy Peralta, he's only started seven games, so I I don't think he's really in that race right now. Sir Anthony Dominguez, he's a reliever, so he's not going to win rookie of the year, but he has been one of the the better success stories, not just for the Phillies, but uh, in all of baseball, a guy that, you know, just came up and absolutely dominated to the point where right now he is sitting pretty with a 1.60 ERA. He actually has the highest war among all rookie pitchers, um, in the major, in the NL um, which is which is neat to see but right now I would definitely go with Juan So to the 19-year-old outfielder for the Washington Nationals I think he right now is my NL rookie of the year moving now up to Cy Young uh, this is this is very difficult in the American League but we will so we're going to start in the the National League and it's you know it, it call it whatever you want um I'm going to go with Aaron Nola. Uh, He, he has the, the numbers to, to really, you know, make a case for, for him being the, the Cy Young. Uh, it's, you can call it bias. Uh, I, I've, it's, I don't know. I flip-flopped a lot. I flip-flopped between Scherzer, DeGrom, and Nola multiple times, but I'm kind of buying into the Nola thing. I kept telling people, listen, he's not going to finish higher than third, no matter what, but the guy has a chance. Uh, he's started 20 games this year. He's 12 and three. Um, now, I, th- I think the voters are kind of getting away from pitcher records. Uh, at least I hope they are. Um, but, you know, it's something that they look at. That's uh, it's been proven in the past. So you look at Nola, he's 12-3. and three. So He started 20 games. He has tossed 129 innings. So he's definitely on pace for a career high in innings pitched. Um, right now, his strikeout rate is at 26.1%. His walk rate is at a minuscule 7%. So a strikeout to walk rate, 19.1%. He has pitched to uh, a 2.30 ERA and a 2.60 FIP. Among the National League leaders in war for pitchers, he is second. Now, it depends on what you, say, you look at. It. I'm looking at fan graphs, so he is second. Um, he is at 4.2 war. DeGrom is at 4.4. Scherzer is at 4.1. I don't know. I think Nola really has a shot at the at the signing award this year. Uh, you, you can't really go wrong, right? Like Scherzer, obviously, he is he's dominated this year, as we all expected him to. Uh, he's really helped carry that Nationals team just to the record that they're at, which is 48 and 48. Uh, right now, he is striking out over 12 batters per nine innings. His strikeout rate is uh, an insane 34.5%, where his walk per- rate is only 6.5%. He's pitched to a 2.41 earned run average and a 2.80 FIP. And he is stranded 83.2% of the runners he's left on base, over 134.2 winnings. He also has the win loss record at 12 and 5, so he kind of has that. DeGrom, I hope he doesn't get hurt by his win loss record, but it's only a 5 and 4, so I kind of wonder if the voters kind of pulled that against him, which would be a shame because they shouldn't, because DeGrom has been incredible this year. Uh, I think he, there's a case for him, too, to say that he's been the best pitcher. In the in the National League, an ERA under two at one point six eight, a two point three two FIP. He has four point four wins above replacement. Uh, he's striking out over ten batters per nine innings, walking just two point one nine in nineteen starts. Um, he's tossed one hundred and twenty three point one innings. But I don't. I think if Nola helps lead the Phillies to the playoffs, I think it's contingent on that. But if he's the ma- one of the major reasons why this team. I, I'm, I'll even go a step further. If they win the division because Nola's a big reason why, I think he gets the Cy Young. I really do, especially if the Nationals and the Mets don't make the playoffs. I really think that Nola kind of gets that edge. But, you know, I even as a Phillies fan, I'm going to flip-flop a lot between now and the end of the season. As I said, I've, I've done that over the past few weeks. I've made a case for myself for Nola. I've made a case for Scherzer. I've made a case for DeGrom. But right now, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm gonna I, I think I'm going to go with Nola. Uh, I, I will give special consideration to, uh, to Patrick Corbin, who has done well this year for the, for the Diamondbacks. I don't know how much the humidor has helped him out, but he's done pretty well this year for the, um, for the Diamondbacks. And then Mike fulton for the for the Atlanta Braves. He's also had a solid season as well. But right now my top three in order would probably be Nola, DeGrom, and Scherzer, um, which is really weird to say Scherzer three. But I really like what DeGrom has done this year for the Mets. It's a shame that he doesn't have the support but NOLA right now is my number one for the NL Cy Young. And for the AL Cy Young, wow, there are a lot of options this year for the American League Cy Young, aren't there? There's, you can't go wrong with, with any of them. I think you could really you could make a case for any of them, and people would say, okay, I could see where you're coming from with this. I think at this point I'd probably have to go with Justin Verlander. It's just been... I. I now, see, I don't know, cause now, I'm, like, I'm second guessing myself already saying Justin Verlander's name, cause you put, you can put in several different pitchers, I think, for consideration. You can throw in a guy like, like, you can throw in Verlander. You can throw in Luis Severino. You could throw in Chris Sale, Garrett Cole, Trevor Bauer. If you really wanted to, you could make a case for Blake Snell, maybe not to win it, but to finish in the top three. Uh, there's a lot of different paths you could go down here in terms of the the AL Cy Young. Uh I think I don't know it's it, I mean you could make a case for Charlie Morton if you really wanted to. Morton is having a phenomenal year for the for the Houston Astros. That entire rotation has been has been great between, you know, McCullers, Keikel, Morton, Cole, and Verlander. No one's touching that rotation in October, but it's ah it's tough. It's really really tough. I think if I had to if yeah, a gun to my head right now, I think I kind of have to go with. Uh, it's uh, maybe Trevor Bauer. So Trevor Bauer, I'm gonna say this. So he leads the the American League in WAR for pitchers with at 5.1. Is that 2.24 earned run average? Uh, a 2.23 FIP. Uh, it's he's striking out close to 12 batters per nine innings. I don't. I, all right. I, I'm going to gun to my head. I'm going to go with Justin Verlander. I think he's kind of gotten a little lucky this year with the BABIP at 2, at .241, but he he's picking up right where he left off with the Astros last year. Last year, he gets the the late season trade from Detroit to Houston. In five games, he posts a 1.06 earn run average and a 2.69 Fip this year, right where he left off um, a 2.29 earn run average, a 2.83 FIP over 21 starts. His strikeout rate is at 25 or 32.5%. His walk rate is at uh, very minuscule, 4.5%. His whip, 0.84. Hitters are hitting just 182 off of him. His ERA minus is 57. His FIP minus, this is important, is really nice at 69. Uh, his, his, he's stranding 84.3% of the batters that he's allowing to, to reach base. It's, I don't, it's, it's tough, right? It, as I said, like you, you can make a case for every single one of them. I think right now that I'm going to go for Verlander. That's probably going to change every single day uh, until we get to the end of the season. But right now, I think I would go with the 35 year old Verlander. Um, it's, I know he's coming off of a rough start. Uh, his last start um, on Sunday, uh, it's, he allowed six runs. I think only five of them were earned um, against his former team, the Tigers he struck out 12 but he still uh, allowed those uh those six runs. So I think I think I'm going to go with Justin Verlander, uh my very close second uh I think would say is probably Luis Severino uh, and then I would go probably Trevor Bauer and then Chris Sale, I think. I don't that no, I might put Chris Sale at 3 and then Trevor Bauer at 4 and then maybe Garrett Cole at 5, but all of them right now are extremely close on my AL Cy Young list. Uh, Any of them could win it. and I understand why. Um, So that's, that's where we're looking at for AL Cy Young right now, Justin Verlander. And now we move to the final award, the MVP. Uh, Definitely. uh, I think it's a little easier um, in the American league. So we will start in the national league uh, and you could make a case for two guys. There's only two guys that you could really make a case for. And it's Nolan Arenado of the Rockies and Freddie Freeman of the Atlanta Braves. And I think I'm at this point I'm gonna go with Freddie Freeman just because of the the splits that he has produced. And I hate to use that as an as an excuse. And you know, it I give credit to a guy like a like a Nolan Arenado. He still does well uh, on the road because obviously he plays a course. He he plays a course field. So his 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 numbers are going to be you know a, a little better just because he gets to play half of his games at at the most hitter friendly ballpark in in all of baseball. So you look at at how he's done this year at home. He's hit uh 370, um whereas on the road uh he has hit 253, which is it's that's a that's a major um that's a major difference, right? You know, like that's from, from 370 to, to 253. Um, and obviously I don't want to, I don't want to just look at, at, you know, at, at batting average, but it's, you know, give credit to Nolan Arenado. He's done very, I think he's kind of overshadowed um, in terms of the, the batters around the league, just because he plays half of his games at, at Coors Field, but he has done, I think very well. And I think that I would love to see him on the Phillies because he's going to be a free agent. I would love to see him, on the on the Phillies but um it's you take a look at how he's done so he's posted a 175 I was uh, I, if you could tell I was doing a nice little podcasting trick which I was stalling until I got the stats that I wanted cuz I forgot to get them up uh, he has a 175 wrc plus at home uh, only a one I say only a 115 on the road but th- that's pretty drastic um it's his his ops at home is 1.140 his ops is 820 on the road that's still good It's still good, right? But you take a look here at a guy like a a Freddie Freeman, I don't think it's as drastic um, to the point. So you look at home, he has a 142 WRC plus on the road. He has a 157. He has a weighted on base average of 382 at home. It's 408 on the road. An OPS of 899 at home, 970 on the road they're not as drastic as they were for uh, Nolan Arenado. So Nolan Arenado, is he having a hell of a season? Of course he's having a hell of a season, just like everybody would have expected. He is hitting 312. Uh, let me get this up. He's hitting 312, 395, 586 with uh, as a, uh, an overall WRC plus of 145. Uh, he has 23 home runs. He's batted in 68. Uh, he's drawing a walk 12.4% of the time, striking out 18.2%. Uh, He's been good for 3.9 wins above replacement. But Freddie Freeman, uh, he is my NL MVP as of right now. It's going to be a close race to the end of the season. I'm really looking forward to watching it uh, unfold. But right now, Freeman, he is slashing 315, 405, 533 with a 396 weighted on base average, but a slightly higher WRC Plus at 150. He has 16 home runs, 61 RBI. Uh, and he has 3.7 wins above replacement. You can make a case for a guy like a Lorenzo Cain and a guy like a Paul Goldschmidt. Uh, and further down, um, I'm not going to make a case for them for MVP, but I just want to give credit to guys like Eugenio Suarez um, for, you know, kind of carrying their teams. Ozzy Albies, you can make a slight case for uh, as well. Um, the young infielder for the, for the Braves is going to be very good for a long time. But the 1-2 right now is Freeman and Arenado, and I think after that there's a pretty sizable gap between the rest of the of the pack. So Freddie Freeman, my NL MVP right now, and my American League MVP, it's it's not even close, you know? It's not close. Uh, it's Mike Trout. Uh, he has been absolutely phenomenal this season. What can he say about Mike Trout? The guy gets better every single year. It's He's going to be a Hall of Famer, right? Like we can say that right now, barring any injury, um, he's going to be a Hall of Famer. He, it's, it's, there. There are not enough adjectives in the world to describe how I- incredible Mike Trout is. Uh, he has a 187 WRC plus, um, which is by far the I, I I'm not going to say by far. It's the highest in his career. Uh, he has a 310 uh, average, a 454 on base percentage, a 6.06 slugging percentage, a 4.39 weighted on base average. He already has 6.6 wins above replacement. He's drawing a walk 19.6% of the time. He's striking out 19.4% of the time. He's hit 25 home runs, so he's going to demolish the total he hit last year, which was 33 he has 50 RBI he's stolen 15 bases so he's gonna he's gonna have a 2020 season I don't think he's going to get to 30 30 but he will have a 2020 season and you look at you know maybe some more advanced a 1.060 OPS if you have an OPS uh, above one it's you might it's not even you might win the MVP award if you're like Mike Trout you will win the MVP award uh, that season. So, Mike Trout is my MVP, but obviously, special consideration goes out to guys like Jose Ramirez, who this year is hitting 302, 401, 628 with a 174 WRC. He has 29 home runs. Not in the, the home run derby. He did get the invite, but he turned it down. The Indians said that they would be fine with him being in the home run derby, but Ramirez turned it down. So, we will not see him in the in the all star game. And Moogie Betts, um, who has only played in 78 games, whereas you look at guys like Trout. Um, they, he's played in '97. mirrors has played in '94. Uh, Mookie Betts has done very well. 3.59 batting average. Um, as we are at the All-Star break, 4.48 on-base percent, 6.91 slugging percentage. Um, well over a 1,000 OPS. A 2.02 WRC plus. He has 6.3 wins above replacement. And I, I just want to hit on one more thing with with Mike Trout. So you take a look here as we as we scroll down his statistics page, and there we go. You take a look here. At his at his defensive metrics, his UZR per 150 in the outfield this year in center field 6.9 does not get any nicer than that. So that those are my awards uh, AL MVP um, at the midseason point I should say my awards Mike Trout NL MVP Freddie Freeman uh, NL Cy Young Aaron Nola AL Cy Young uh, who would I say Justin Verlander uh, AL Rookie of the Year Gleyber Torres and NL Rookie of the Year want so to be sure to reach out to me and tell me how stupid I am for picking those uh some of those guys and be sure to tell me who you would have picked instead. And I want to end this uh, MLB segment with my second half predictions for the MLB. So you take a look at the division leaders right now. You have Boston, Cleveland, Houston in the AL, Philadelphia, Chicago and the Dodgers in the NL. You take a look at the the wild card standings in the American League. The Yankees have the first wild card spot. They are safely ahead. They are 5 games up. Um, right now, in that with that first wild card spot, and Seattle currently holds the second wild card spot. Um, meanwhile, in the National League, Milwaukee has a, a one game advantage for that first wild card spot over Atlanta. Um, and the I will say this: the the National League wild card race is a lot closer than the American League. So I want to give some second half predictions um, before we end uh, this segment. Uh, and we will start with the American League. So I think Boston does end up winning the American League East with over 100 wins. I don't know what their final record will be, but I think they get over 100 wins. I think the Yankees get over 100 wins too, but they're just going to, they're not going to be able to, I'm not going to say they won't be able to catch up to the Red Sox, but I think they will be just a few games back when all is said and done. And <clears throat> excuse me. That's how that will play out. Um, oh, by the way, ma- I forgot to say this manager of the year um, in the AL, I would go with Kevin Cash. He has done an, a phenomenal job with the, the little talent he has on that roster uh, and the NL Gabe Kapler. Um, that's what I would go with at this point. Um, uh, I know Gabe Kapler was a little controversial, especially in the Philadelphia area after the first couple weeks of the season, but he's really earned it. And I think right now he's manager of the year and sit Kevin Cash in the, in the AL. But, uh, we took a look at the AL Central, and man, I, I don't know. the Cleveland right now, they're seven and a half up on Minnesota. It's, it's going to be a barn burner coming down at the end of the year, but I think Cleveland does pull it out. They're going to wrap up a playoff spot pretty early on, I'd say, uh, and then I would go with Houston in the AL West um, to win that division. The second wildcard spot, I'm going to make a bold prediction here. I think Seattle collapses and Oakland overtakes them. We take a look at Oakland. They are right now, they've se- they're 7 and 3 in their last 10 games versus Seattle's 3 and 7. Oakland has po- I, I it's funny cuz I said this in the the podcast last week in a podcast last week. Uh and it's a shame for Oakland because they're just it's I don't see them making unless Seattle really collapses, I don't think Oakland's going to be there. And it's a shame because they're having such a good season. They've made the comeback. They're only three games back in the wild card race right now. So uh, my bold prediction, Seattle collapses and Oakland gets that second wild card spot and Oakland makes the playoffs over the Seattle Mariners. That is my bold prediction for the second half for the American league and the national league. I think the Phillies get Machado and they win the NL East. Um, I think, the the Cubs and the Brewers that's going to be a, a really fun race all the all the division races in the National League are going to be really fun to watch I think uh, at the end of the day the Brewers um, they just uh, they can't keep up with the Chicago Cubs the Cubs turn it on in the second half and I think the Cubs win that division and in the NL West I'm going to go with the Arizona Diamondbacks I think they have what it takes I think the Dodgers are more talented but I think the Dodgers have or the Diamondbacks have what it takes to win that division. Your two wildcard teams, I'm gonna go with Milwaukee and the Dodgers. I think the Braves um, are they they finish very it's it's gonna come down to the the end of the season, but I really think that the your final two wild card teams are gonna be the Brewers and the and the Dodgers. Uh, I don't know in what order, but my predictions in the National League I said Philadelphia, Chicago, Arizona, your wildcard teams Milwaukee and Arizona with Atlanta, and Colorado finishing just a little bit out. And in the American League, I would go with Boston, Cleveland, Houston, your two wildcard teams, New York, and Oakland. And if you had to ask me for my World Series right now, I think I would go with Houston from the American League. And in the National League, I think I would go with the... Wow, that is tough. Uh, I think I would go... Because if the Phillies get Machado, they'd have a chance, but I'm not going to be that much of a homer because they they do have uh, quite a few holes uh, on that team. So I think I would go – my preseason prediction was the Diamondbacks to make the World Series, so I'm going to go with them. I think the Diamondbacks win the NL West, and then they get to the World Series. So if you had to ask me right now, my AL uh, World Series pick is Houston, and my NL World Series pick would be Arizona. Those are my second-half predictions, a couple bold ones in there. I can't wait to see how wrong I am uh, in three to four months. I'm going to definitely laugh at myself because of it, but those are my picks. This podcast has now reached the one hour and eight second mark. Believe it or not, having a lot of fun talking. So I was going to talk about the NFL. We're going to save that. We're going to save that for the next podcast because I don't want this to drag on too much longer. Um, so this is where we will end this episode of the Ryan Waldis sports podcast. As a reminder, you can listen to this on Spotify, CastBox, Stitcher, Google podcasts, and much more. Be sure to go to anchor.fm slash Ryan Waldis sports podcast to check out all the services that the podcast is offered on. Be sure to leave a review and a rating subscribe, whatever you feel comfortable doing. Just to let me know how I'm doing. Connect with me on social media at Ryan Waldus Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, YouTube, whatever you want to do. Be sure to reach out to me if you have any suggestions about stuff you want me to talk about. Any questions, I would love to answer them on the podcast, anything at all. Be sure to just let me know on social media. I would love to talk to you about some sports or whatever. And check out my website at RyanWaldis.com. You can get updates when my podcast goes live. You can see any new blog posts that I create. You can learn a little bit about me, all that and more over at RyanWaldis.com. So I want to thank you for listening to this edition of the Ryan Waldis Sports Podcast. It was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed uh, making this episode. Not that I don't enjoy making the other ones, but this one was this one was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed this one a lot. And I will catch you all, if not tomorrow, then definitely on Wednesday for the next episode of the Ryan Waldis Sports Podcast. Thanks for listening, guys. Thank you.